Shea butter and popcorn. <laughs> okay, let's start the show. Season 4の準備をしなさい。Preparati per la stagione 4. Preparate para la temporada 4. Sit back, relax, and listen. Friday's gonna have you glistening. Get ready for a real good vibe. Shea butter and popcorn. Now live. Welcome to Shea butter and popcorn with Taj and Chels, season four, episode 10. Shea butter and popcorn is the podcast where your neighborly film fanatics review our favorite films and shows. My name is Chelsea, aka Chels, singer, actor, blogger, podcaster, and all around movie lover. My name is Tajiana, aka Taj. Actor, filmmaker, lover of black stories, black narratives, black everything. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So fun. This week is about sympathizing with the antagonist, the agitator, the hater, the critic, y'all. So ready for this. Villain origin stories. Let's go. These give you the ability to see how they morph into who they are. Okay. You have to have the villain origin story, you know? Like, uh, Joker, but I didn't like that movie.、Um, <laughs> I know Joker is the prime example for villain origin stories. I know. Always nice to see the backstory and context of how the villain became the villain. It's like, why is this crazy white man a crazy white man? <laughs> Let us know because we're confused. <laughs> I would like this. Such a weird time to have that movie, too, when it was released because of everything in the world. It's like, you know. Yeah. Everything was there, you know, left out, you know, and you know,、yeah. victimized supposedly, but they're not. It was like all those t y p e of tropes. Are you serious? Well, dang, I didn't even think about that analysis. I feel like it had those tropes in Joker because it's like he saw himself as victimized, left behind, and all this, not even realizing his privilege as a white male. Yeah. And it's like he was just mediocre, but his. Mediocrity, he saw as you know, being victimized by other privileged people because he was mediocre, he couldn't see his own privilege, and then took it out on everyone and went and killed people. And it, was up. it was toxic, but it showed like the truth of people that go out and do heinous things. Like they really feel like the whole world's against them and stuff, when really the way stuff is set up. The whole world is supposed to fall at their feet, they think. So I don't know. I feel like I had that message under those undertones. So that, you know, yeah. Feel so sorry for me as、right. I'm making havoc. Yeah. Up there telling them sorry jokes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Please no. Anyway,、uh, that's that one. That's our review.、Um, <laughs> first up is Venom 2018, directed by、okay. Ruben. Pleasure available on Hulu. Oh my gosh, I love this movie so good. This film holds a 30% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Trash, garbage. 30%. <laughs> oh my god, audience scores gave it an 81. What? Y'all are some haters. Are you serious? The critics 30%, the audience 80%. Why is it that far of a gap? What? Wait, was it really that bad, you guys? <laughs> like, I'm gonna talk to these critics because, like, what the heck? 91% of Google users like this movie. What? 
dang, these critics tore up Venom. I liked it. I'm sorry. I don't know why y'all didn't. Um, this film was ripped for being chaotic, noisy, and crazy. But that's why I loved it. Hmm. I don't know. Weird. It had decent CGI effects, too. Oh, my gosh. So, based off the 1988 Marvel comic, Venom, the comic, journalist Eddie Brock, played by Tom Hardy, is trying to take down Carlton Drake, the notorious and brilliant founder of the Live Foundation. While investigating one of Drake's experiments, Eddie's body merges with the alien Venom, leaving him with superhuman strength and power. Twisted, dark, and fueled by rage, Venom tries to control the new and dangerous abilities that Eddie finds so intoxicating. Eddie is considered a villain long before Venom comes into play because he's a journalist. You know, he's wired to get the truth out by whatever means is necessary and pushing the envelope. And that's basically why he, you know, has relationship trouble with um, Michelle Williams' character. The thing is, though, after Venom attaches himself to Eddie, his metamorphosis or his final form takes over in a sense. Eddie's pushed around. He's not respected for what he's trying to do. And this film on the surface level talks about social disparities with the classist hierarchy of people in power with money, pushing aside the average everyman, you know, the class system, and even worse, the homeless epidemic. All this is shown in this movie. These people are considered not people, essentially. Um, whether or not critics enjoyed it, this film made $856.1 million at the box. <laughs> Argue with the wall because, yeah, that was really good. Second up, The Invisible Man 2020, directed by Lee Wanell, available on HBO Max. This film holds a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, so a lot of people, critics enjoyed it, but only 86% of Google users actually liked it. It made $143.2 million at the box office. You know, you gotta love Blumhouse films and make really great movies. So after staging, his own, after staging his own suicide, a crazed scientist uses his power to become invisible to stalk and terrorize his ex-girlfriend played by Elizabeth Moss. You know her from shows like Top of the Lake, Handmaid's Tale, and Mad Men. So when the police refuse to believe her story, she decides to take matters into her own hands and fight back. So this movie, it's very suspenseful. It's filled with great thrills, unexpected twists. I would go and... Uh, to greater detail, but I don't want to ruin it for those of you who have not seen it yet. Storm Reed, so cute, such a great actress. Um, and Aldous Hodge are also in this film. Storm Reed, you know, from A Wrinkle in Time. And Aldous Hodge, One Night in Miami, Straight Out of Compton, Clemency, films like that. Um, what makes it so crazy is the fact that she starts to question her own sanity, and the viewers have moments where the audience is questioning it too, you know? We know the Invisible Man was an abusive boyfriend physically and emotionally. However, why did he become that way? You know, this film brings you in, I feel, with that already set up without really going into his backstory. So this way, uh, this week is about villain origin stories. I feel like this film kind of lets you set up the origin story yourself. You know, the obvious answer could be him not being raised to respect women, being around abusers as a child, any of those could be triggers or factors. And you can decipher and come up with your own origin story as the film goes on. Of like, why is he like this? And, you know, they touch on a little bit. You know, he's a crazy scientist. But why did people not believe his work? You know, he's a crazy scientist, but like he wasn't always crazy. You know, science is always changing and expanding and the universe is expanding. So what happened to him where he snapped? Very interesting dialogue going on there um, with that film. 
Next up. <laughs> ah! Man, I love this movie and I love action movies, but I know this one's a little, it's a little off center a little bit. It's not really cut and dry with like, you know, villain, good guy, bad guy. It's called V for Vendetta, 2006, directed by James McTeague, available on HBO Max. And so this film, it holds a 73% of Rotten Tomatoes. 91% of Google users enjoyed this film. So this movie was like an omen to 2020 that I feel not enough people paid attention to because the parallels are off the charts. So yet following World War, London is a police state occupied by a fascist government and a vigilante known only as B, played by Hugo Weaving, uses terrorist tactics to fight the oppressors of the world in which he now lives. So when V saves a young woman named Evie, played by Natalie Portman from the secret police, he discovers an ally in his fight against England's oppressors. So the dialogue in this movie, the topics are totalitarianism, fascism, and socialism. I mean, they're showcased at such a heightened extent. It's like a real wake-up call about how fascists can infiltrate our government and of course, we have socialism. It's an idealist model of how society could be. Well, capitalism shows how the world is as it stands now. So in my opinion, you know, socialism can't work because we still have the separation of the classes, the financial hierarchies, and let's not forget racism. And this film touches on that, what happens if uh, we fight to make things equal. And I feel like until everyone is treated equally, you can't really trust a system where there's going to be an even keel for everyone when most folks don't even want certain people at certain levels of the totem pole. So, in fact, we can't throw away the totem pole altogether and then just say harmony. This film holds uh, made a total of $132.5 million at the box office. So please give it a stream if you have not seen it. It really, there's so many, like, discussion boards, YouTube and things like that and so many panels and forums and people discussing this movie because of the stuff that it talks about. It's like really heightened stuff, you know? And it's like, we can become our own villain if we do not take charge and take control of who we have in power and who we have in office, you know? And and after the year we had, we all saw what that can do um, this past year. So um, yeah, it's a very important film. Last up this week is The Little Things 2021, directed by John Lee Hancock, available on HBO Max. This one just came out. It holds a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. You know, hmm. Rotten. I'm going to throw some Rotten Tomatoes at them. That's what I'm going to do. Because I, I get can't. on my nerves with these. I can't. I can't. Okay. It had an open weekend of 4.8 million, so not too bad. Um, released on January 29th of 2021. I really loved it, even though it was extremely troubling. You have Deputy Sheriff Joe Deke Deacon, played by Denzel Washington, the elite, the legend, loved him, joins forces with Sergeant Jim Baxter, played by Rami Malik from movies like Bohemian Rhapsody and shows like Mr. Robot, to search for a killer, the serial killer, who's terrorizing Los Angeles. So it kind of reminded me of, like, the Night Stalker. Ooh. Yeah, that show was wild. I'm going to have to do a whole episode of that, Night Stalker on Netflix. So crazy. As they track the culprit, who they believe is Albert Sparma, played by Jared Leto, Dallas Buyers Club, films like that, Baxter is unaware that the investigation is dredging up echoes of, Dre- of Deke's past, uncovering disturbing secrets that could threaten more than his case. 
this movie, I don't want to ruin it for you, but I will say this. Sometimes the true villain is not the suspect, but the true villain is within the misplaced power in charge deciding who should live or die. Those are the evil ones. And how did they become evil? You know, what terror did they see on the job that made them turn and want to just find a reason to get a case closed and be justified in their actions, even if the investigation, although accurate, is not thorough. Accurate investigation, but not a thorough investigation. That's what this movie's about. I'm not going to give it away. Please watch it. Those are my films for this week. Taji, let me know what yours are. All right. We're going to get into it. Black Panther, we're going to talk about Killmonger. Is he really a villain? Are you a good villain? This is a very um, tragic uh, downfall, um, and it's a very com- complex villain character. Um, we we talk a lot about the the you know the turmoil between the the African community and the African American community experience is different than um, the you know indigenous African experience. We've been tongue tied all day. Um, because these these villains they they've taken over our bodies um but no i think that you know it's it's so weird because people talk about how that the fact that he's almost out of place um because of just this dichotomy um of when have you seen a film to where the villain was related to the hero um and the i mean you've seen that sometimes like oh you know i'm fighting my brother or like it's you know whoever um but being able to be like yo like this is my cousin you know what i'm saying um i I think is a very profound profound thing when it comes to black panther and the story um i do believe that it's very unfortunate because um you know a little bit of backstory and if you if you haven't seen the film by now you can go watch the film um and you really should be um, one because you know rest in peace to chadwick but two you just watch it in general. It's on Disney Plus. Um, it has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Of course, y'all better. Um, <laughs> and 91% of Google users liked it um, and came out um, in 2018. Um, but I do believe that it's it's rough because if you examine one of the scenes of the film, the it shows how it's a flashback to when he's younger. And it shows how he comes to see that you know i'm gonna spoil the movie a little bit but if you came back home to see um your father dead and is talking about this fantastical land of his home and where he comes from and how um how great it was but you know his dad had came to america and built a relationship with a black american woman um who wasn't a, a established character but was it was hinted at to be able to have that type of storyline and and come back as a child and see that one of your own has killed your dad because of the different turmoil and differences in terms of wanting to use the resources for your own people and the complexity of what does that mean? Like who is our own people? Um, And he talks about that in his, um, uh, in a little bit of the scene um, when he, uh, Kilmonger played by Michael B. Jordan comes to Wakanda at the end uh, not the end, but more of the middle of the film and, and says, but didn't, you know, life start right here on this continent. Um, so isn't all people your people? And, um, you know, Chadwick Black Panther is like, you know, the people, you know, basically the people of Wakanda are my people. I don't know what you're talking about. So it's yeah. a very, very, you know, 
a deep conversation that I'm glad they opened up that conversation for the complexities of, of both sides and understanding how um, a lot of understanding at the root of it all, that is a, you know, a subset or a byproduct of white supremacy. And I believe that they just did a beautiful job of showing that loophole and how he had that trauma from when he was a kid, which often happens with villain characters is something happened to them in adolescence, protagonist versus antagonist. It seemed like both sides of the same coin. And so he had a really good, like truth to what he was saying, because he mm -hmm. felt that he was left behind and he felt like, um, he felt like he was forgotten. So, you know, yeah, exactly. And nobody wants to be left behind. No, um, no child left behind. That's Killmonger. Um, the second one I want to talk about is <laughs> Syndrome from The Incredibles. This guy. Okay, he was irritating, was he not? But I I do believe that there, there was a big reason. And a lot of that was revealed. Um, a lot of that was revealed, uh, of course, as well in the second film the backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe that once again, and that's why I think when we talk about being holistic or talk about going to therapy and coming to terms with our childhood trauma, a lot of the shaping of who we are has to do with adolescence. So once again, with villain characters and going back to the adolescence part, um, I do believe that um, when you look at um, Incredibles 1 and 2, you kind of piece together some of these things, but um, with Syndrome specifically as the villain, um, he, oh my gosh, he's the main antagonist, you know, um, the Incredibles have to fight a lot of different, you know, antagonists, Yeah, but he's the main one, and it's like, when did you become e- evil, sir? He right. became really spiteful, um, hypocritical, and vindictive um, after being rejected because Mr. Incredible was his idol, and so as a kid, you know, Mr. Incredible thought he was so holier than thou, so above everyone as a superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's so idolized that he turned away a fan of his to resent him. And, and you know, he even, I believe, Sunjim says in the film something about not being able to trust anyone, especially your heroes, which is a super profound yeah, uh, statement. It was, it was sneakily profound for Disney movie. Yeah. It's like, you forgot. It's like, how do you feel when you like, that's why you can't put your faith in people, but he put him on a pedestal. He did all this and he was young and impressionable and then he let him down and that really rocked his whole world. It's like, wow. And it's like, how would you feel though if you met your idol, your icon? And they were like, not what you thought they would be and then rude to you, but you like, they gave you so much hope and inspiration that does hurt you to the core. And I think that that explores that, especially when he says, when everyone's super, no one will be. Cause like making everyone a superhero and stuff like that. I loved that part there where, it was just a good movie. And I feel like you have to appreciate those type of films that I know it's animated, but if you actually watch and listen to what they're saying, it's a, it's a classic. And I feel like they, there is that gap there of not making animated movies like they used to, like the Incredibles where, you know, they go there and they have some type of truths that mirror real life. So it's a good film. Yeah, it's really good. Um, Yeah. It has all of those, Things woven in there and actually makes you examine the the hero and the protagonist and, and realize that even the heroes have a little bit of problematic like eras um, or eras auras or like, you know, um, they have some, you know, toxic behaviors as well. Mm-hmm. So that definitely resonated with me. 
Um, the last one, just, just for fun. And I want us to also note how, you know, a lot of the villain, even if you type in, you know, best villain characters or best movie villains, um, or movie villains we love, um, of course, a lot of them are going to be male centered because, you know, a lot of things are, are centered around men in general because patriarchy and the like, but also, um, just the, the the thing about men being the villain in real life translates on screen of like oh the villain it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a woman because women aren't aren't as evil as men um this this and that even in the fantasy land it translates and so um these picks are all you know male-centered but that we have uh, so many good um women villains as well but just for fun i wanted to just add in there (laughs) he's not exactly i don't want to say he's a um exactly classified as a villain but he does have more of an antagonist or a um squidward tentacles <laughs> i'm spongebob i just wanted to talk about the fact that like you know growing up you see squidward as the grouch and spongebob as the happy-go-lucky you know wonderful lead character in this right <laughs> But this dude is a sponge who is annoying (laughs) as well. He can be annoying and bothersome and like overly excited and just a lot of energy. And as we've gotten older, you can see a lot of the think pieces on Twitter if you want. But as we get older, we can definitely see that like this dude has such a, you know, affinity for wanting to have his own, you know, space, wanting to be to himself wanting to let things be the way that he wants them without further disruption. Is that so bad? Um, and I think we're that, self-care king. Yes. The self-care king, just wanting to play his clarinet and not be annoyed by SpongeBob. Yeah. Um, the way that his presentation come off comes off is very villainous, but you know, within reason. And so I just wanted to throw that in there for fun that, you know, we definitely, I feel like have seen Squidward through the eyes of like, more of a, a of a villain lens especially you know for specific episodes where he's not as like you know maybe he's not there are episodes where he's nicer is more emotional or other things like that and more sensitive but there's even compilations like you look at here and it's like you know um every time squidward kicks spongebob out of his house a compilation like <laughs> there's literally just like that's the the you know bane of his existence but yeah it definitely is um is a uh, hilarious um how that's set up and how when we get older we get to understand um how um you know how how people think or why people think the way that they think they and think, um, oh, for sure because i think too like yeah. for example kim possible i love her right yes and it's like i grew up in the she go <laughs> yes but she go is like she go so is such a bad Right? Like, you think you love this character as a kid, you do, and they're the antagonist, and you grow up, and it's like, I love Maleficent. You know? It's like, come on. Come on, because we love the energy. A lot of villains have self-confidence, and they just think that they're everything, and I think that could also be a source of inspiration, as well as, like, dang, this person is really sure of themselves. You kind of equal them. Hello. there's some good qualities that you can take out of these villains, um, you yeah. know, especially wanting to highlight those, you know, women villains as well as, like I said, like, you know, we love Shigo, um, mm-hmm. Maleficent. I think, I mean, if I could come through with that type of energy every day, Ooh. I feel like I would be all the way together, <laughs> but that's just, that's just her. her. Oh my gosh. Cruella DeVille. Cruella DeVille. Cruella. I mean, 
even if you come through like Ursula or even like if you come through like Catwoman, I feel like the women villains are more, they're more, I don't know. They, they put that poise on it because, you know, she's a woman. Um, they put that type of flair for a lot of the, the woman villains. They so villainize think, Halle Berry for doing Catwoman today. Like, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, if you're going to villainize, if you're going to villainize Catwoman, then fine. Then I'm going to be a very poor, graceful villain if you're going to categorize it as such. Um, yeah, it's definitely like listed as like the first ever <laughs> like villain in terms of the other Catwoman, but they definitely did too much on Howie because she was a black woman. But that's a whole nother conversation um, in terms of villainizing black women specifically. But yeah, I think that the women villains are definitely, you know, it's like you love to hate them, but you hate to love them. Like there's so many different them. angles. They're so good. I love it. So good. Yeah. yeah. I think the only unforgivable one is Scar. I'm sorry. Lion King. I can't, I can't forgive Scar. He I'm had sorry. some funny jokes in the beginning. It was fine. We were all kikiing. It it was cute in the beginning and then it got to be too much. Stampede, I was done. I'm sorry. He was just unforgivable. <laughs> can't do it. But no. No, you don't get to you don't get to come up in here and do that. No, absolutely not. But it's okay. We these villains we we learn to love them from afar, or we under, come to understand them and why they came to be the way that they the way that they are. And and with that being said, I'm super excited. Oh my gosh, you guys know the movie Orphan. Orphan yeah. is coming out with a prequel called Esther. And I'm so excited because that movie messed me up as a kid, but also to be able to know more of her backstory. Y'all go Google it. Go Google it. Or who's excellent. I'm excited. I bet you she was probably (laughs) antisocial. Oh my gosh. That whole, her as a person, her whole backstory. Once I got to the ending, I was like, "Yeah, this is this is definitely right." Yeah, there's nothing like your first time watching a movie like that, though. Especially exactly. those scary movies like Halloween. All those, the first time watching is like something like first time. That's cool. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next week. We're going to get darker for sure. Even more. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. We're gonna talk about the blood, the guts, and the slashers. Oh my gosh. It's our horror heaven special insert evil app. (laughs) 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 Horror heaven, horror movies, slashers. Let's do it. Feel free to follow us on social media to stay updated on this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Shea Butter Pop, on Instagram at Shea Butter Popcorn, or follow us individually at Chelsea J Music on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram at Tajana Okechuku on Instagram and Twitter at Tajana Tweets. Yes. Let us know what you thought. Let us know what is your favorite villain origin story that you have seen or that you think should be explored. You know? Yeah, let us know who's your favorite. Yeah. What's your favorite slasher movie? We're going to talk about slashers next week. <laughs> yeah, what, what y'all scared of? I'm scared of everything personally. Nathan, Freddy, Michael Myers. <laughs> Psycho. Oh gosh. Can go right back on the carry too if you want. Right? <laughs> the shining, all of them. Mm-mm. Get ready, y'all. Get ready. Up. <laughs> so See y'all next week.